We are indeed much more than what we eat. But what we eat can nevertheless help us to be much more than what we are. One should eat to live, not live to eat. Your diet is a bank account. Good food choices are good investments. Hello and welcome to episode 362 of Under the Cowl of MS. This is number episode yeah 362, another Wellness Wednesday episode. My brain's all over the place, obviously, starting off today. But yeah, let's see what we got here. What kind of things can we come up with today to talk about? Uh, need to get into that. <laughs> you want to read a blog about someone dealing with MS? You can check out YvonneDeSosa.com. Y-V-O-N-N-E-D-E-S-O-U-S-A dot com. Uh, you check out her blog, Finding Humor in, Mul- in a Multiple Sclerosis Life. Like one of her listings is, Am I the Biatch? <laughs> but yeah, you can see how she's dealing with MS. And learn if there's anything that can help you from what she has dealt with. For some reason, I have this uh, Alicia Citradora oil in one of my search things to look up in the shopping in like Amazon or whatever. But let's find out why. I don't know why this is in here. I don't remember this name. This herb was told to me by some doctor or something and that's why I was researching it it's lemon verbena is a species of flowering plant in the verbena family verbenacea native to South America other common names include lemon bee brush it was brought to Europe by the Spanish and the Portuguese in the 17th century and cultivated for its oil. I don't have it as a aromatherapy. So I don't know. Let's look up its uses and stuff. Lemon verbena is a flowering plant. It grows in South America, Northern Africa, Southern Europe, and Iran. The leaves and flowering tops are used to make medicine. Lemon verbena is used for digestive disorders such as gas or diarrhea, muscle damage caused by exercise, multiple sclerosis, insomnia, and other conditions, but there is no good scientific evidence to support these uses, of course. Uh, In foods and manufacturing, lemon verbena is used as an ingredient in herbal teas, as a fragrance in perfumes, and as an ingredient in alcoholic beverages. It contains chemicals that might kill mites and bacteria, as well as chemicals that may reduce swelling or inflammation and cause sleepiness. So I can see why then you're using it to fight the inflammation. Different uses, the muscle damage caused by exercise, early research shows that taking lemon lemon verbena extract daily for 14 days can decrease muscle soreness and shorten the time of recovering full muscle strength after exercise. Multiple sclerosis, early research shows that taking lemon verbena extract daily for one month does not alter the symptoms of multiple sclerosis. Uh, 
Well, what does it do for him, though? Other than pain relief, I guess. Insomnia. Early research shows that taking lemon verbena essential oil for four weeks can improve sleep quality in healthy adults with insomnia. Uh, joint pain and obesity. Anxiety, insomnia, asthma, the common cold, gas, flatulence. Excessive crying in infants, colic, uh, diarrhea, indigestion, dyspepsia, hemorrhoids, varicose veins, osteoarthritis, constipation, and other conditions. But they had to do more research on it. Uh, as far as side effects go, when taking it by mouth, it's is likely safe for most people when consumed in amounts found in alcoholic beverages it is possibly safe when taken in appropriate amounts amounts as a medicine short term it can cause skin irritation dermatitis in some people when applied to the skin there isn't enough relief or reliable information to know if the lemon verbena is safe when applied to the skin Contact with lemon verbena may cause red, itchy skin rash in some people, so I don't want to be doing that, but I may have to look into that, see if that's something I want to try. And it's also known as, and you can get the lemon verbena oils, and they also have it known as the Eloisia citradora as far as the plant name so try those out try it out as an oil or something if you want to see if it helps with ms pains i know i might try it i'm gonna probably research it this week and see what i can find online for it uh, this one's not even coming up. I don't know what the heck that one was based off. Uh, Transcendental Meditation is a huge meditation obsession around the part, these part, well, around many people. A lot of stars and stuff talk about it. It's a mantra, mantra-based form of meditation designed to induce calmness. Benefits of transcendental meditation include reduced stress, anxiety, and depression, as with all meditations, in my opinion. To do transcendental meditation, repeat a personalized mantra for 10 to 15 minutes twice a day. And you can go online and get little... Uh, programs and stuff and follow the different programs to find out what type of mantra to choose or how to build design your mantra uh, but yeah it's basically transcendental meditation TM is a form of silent mantra meditation advocated by the transcendental meditation movement Maharisha Mahesh Yogi created the technique in India in the mid to 1950s. Advocates of TM claim that the technique promotes a state of relaxed awareness, stress release, relief, and access to higher states of consciousness, as well as physiological beliefs such as reducing the risk of heart disease, heart-related issues. Uh, but yeah, it's, I believe all meditations will work that way. But if you can't just focus on your breathing or go to your happy place or like using mindful meditation and all that, and you want to try and use it with a mantra style, go for it. I know like Jerry Seinfeld is a big promoter of it. But yeah, if you like to use the mantra style, that would be the way to do it. 
let's look at what is box breathing. Box breathing, also known as square breathing, is a technique used when taking slow, deep breaths. I mean, this is also something that you could, that's kind of meditation related. Uh, it can heighten performance and concentration while also being a powerful stress reliever. It is also called four square breathing. This technique can be beneficial to anyone, especially those who want to meditate or reduce stress. It's used by everyone from athletes to Navy SEALs to police officers and nurses. Uh, you may find it particularly helpful if you have a lung disease, such as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD. So it's probably a really good thing to get ahead of time and before you even come up with COPD. <laughs> uh, basically, if you want to get started, make sure that you're seated upright in a comfortable chair with your feet flat on the floor. Try to be in a stress-free, quiet environment where you can focus on your breathing. Keeping your hands relaxed in your lap with your palms facing up. Focus on your posture. You should be sitting up straight. This will help you when you're taking your deep breaths. When you're ready, sitting upright, slowly exhale through your mouth, getting all the oxygen out of your lungs. Focus on this intention and be conscious of what you're doing. Then inhale slowly and deeply through your nose to the count of four. In this step, count to four very slowly in your head. Feel the air fill your lungs one section at a time until your lungs are completely full and the air moves into your abdomen. Then hold your breath for another slow count of four. Exhale through your mouth for the same slow count of four, expelling the air from your lungs and abdomen. Be conscious of the feeling of the air leaving your lungs while you do this. And hold your breath for the same slow count of four before repeating this process. And then just keep doing it over and over as long as you want, as long as you feel good as long as you need to. According to the Mayo Clinic, there's sufficient evidence that intentional deep breathing can actually calm and regulate the autonomic nervous system, which is funny because in the Mayo Clinic is where I got into my deep breathing and meditative body healing processes and stuff when I was in the ICU supposed to die. I sat there and just stayed awake for over three days as long as I could until my body finally gave up and I blacked out and fell asleep for a while and then started doing it again until all of a sudden I was told I was fine and I could get released. I actually made it through whatever was going on in my, inside my body. Somehow healed itself, but I focused on those body parts and I did my breathing techniques and I focused on my meditation, which I did for years previous before that. But that was the one time I used it very strongly and very focused and just continually focused on that. Those body parts, hoping that they'd somehow heal themselves and they did. Don't know why or how, but they did. So I look forward, I look to it. I love my meditation. I'm so looking forward to the 
weather today we're supposed to have 50s finally but i just want to go sit outside and middle of the yard do some meditation and yoga and just enjoy it it's got to wait for weather to get a little bit better the ground's still a little cold and wet right now <laughs> uh the autonomic nervous system regulates involuntary body functions such as temperature it can lower blood pressure and provide an almost immediate sense of calmness the slow holding of breath allows co2 to build up in the blood and increased blood co2 enhances the cardio inhibitory response of the vagus nerve the vagus nerve when you exhale and stimulates your parasympathetic Parasympathetic, parasympathetic system. This produces a calm and relaxed feeling in the mind and body. Box breathing can reduce stress and improve your mood. That makes it an exceptional treatment for conditions such as generalized anxiety disorder, GAD, and panic disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and depression. It can also help treat insomnia by allowing you to calm your nervous system at night before bed. And box breathing can be efficient at helping with pain management. If you're new to box breathing, it may be difficult to get the hang of it. You may get dizzy after a few rounds. This is normal. As, a pra- as you practice it more often, you'll be able to go longer without the dizziness. If you get dizzy, stay sitting for a minute and resorm- resume normal breathing. You don't want to black out or pass out or something from standing up too quickly and being dizzy at the time. So just sit and relax. To help you focus on your breathing, find a quiet, dimly lit environment to practice box breathing. This isn't at all necessary to perform the technique, but it can help you focus on the practice if you're new to it. Ideally, you want to repeat the box breathing cycle four times in one sitting. Do box breathing several times a day as needed to calm your nerves and relieve stress. But yeah, it's a nice technique, another breathing technique you can use with meditation. Or just sitting and breathing. Let's look in the high blood pressure and hypertension. I want to know what I have. Since my eye doctor says I've never had high blood pressure. And my heart doctor says I do. And my doctor that wouldn't listen to me about MS put me on high blood pressure medication. Let's learn a little bit about it. Your blood pressure measurements take into account how much blood is passing through your blood vessels and the amount of resistance the blood meets while the heart is pumping. High blood pressure or hypertension occurs when the force of blood pushing through your vessels is consistently too high. Uh, Narrow blood vessels, also known as arteries, create more resistance for blood flow. The narrower your arteries are, the more resistance there is, and the higher your blood pressure will be. Over the long term, the increased pressure can cause health issues, including heart disease. Hypertension is quite common. In fact, uh, many adults could now be diagnosed with this condition. Hypertension typically develops over the course of several years. Usually you don't notice any symptoms, but even without symptoms, high blood pressure can cause damage to your blood vessels and organs, especially the brain, heart, eyes, and kidneys. Early detection is important. Regular blood pressure readings can help you and your doctor notice any changes. I keep a blood pressure cuff around. I check my stuff. Usually daily sometimes multiple times a day day sometimes a few times a week all depends how i'm feeling and if my numbers concern me at all on the last times i tested it 
If your blood pressure is elevated, your doctor may have you check your blood pressure over a few weeks to see if the number stays elevated or falls back to normal levels. Treatment for hypertension includes both prescription medication and healthy lifestyle changes. If the condition isn't treated, it could lead to health issues, including heart attack and stroke. Two numbers create a blood pressure reading. The systolic pressure, which is the top number, indicates the pressure in your arteries when your heart beats and pumps out blood. And diastolic pressure, the bottom number, is the reading of the pressure in your arteries between beats of your heart. Let's see. Healthy readings for systolic. You want less than 120 and diastolic less than 80 for healthy readings. Elevated would be systolic would be 120 to 129 and diastolic. less than 80 this i don't know why both healthy and elevated would both be classifying diastolic and less than 80. that <laughs> doesn't make sense uh stage one hypertension is 130 to 139 systolic and 80 to 89 diastolic stage 2 hypertension is 140 or higher systolic or 90 or higher diastolic and hypertension crisis is over 180 systolic and over 120 diastolic i was told 120 over 60 is good and then you go from there but this says a little bit differently some categories that define blood pressure readings for adults healthy a healthy blood pressure reading is less than 120 over 80 millimeters of mercury mmhg elevated the systolic number is between 120 and 129 and the diastolic number is less than 80. Doctors usually don't treat elevated blood pressure with medication. Instead, your doctor may encourage lifestyle changes to help lower your numbers. Stage 1 hypertension. Hiccup burps attack. The systolic number is between 130 and 139. Or the diastolic is between 80 and 89. These are all the numbers we just talked about. But the hypertensive. Oh, come on. Hiccups go away. Let me take a drink of water here. Uh, the hypertensive crisis thing is when the numbers are over 180 over 120 and blood pressure is in this range require requires urgent medical attention oh these hiccups aren't going to go away if any symptoms like chest pain headache shortness of breath or visual changes occur when blood pressure is this high medical care in the emergency room is needed Blood pressure reading is taken with a pressure cuff. For for an accurate reading, it's important you have a cuff that fits. An ill-fitting fit, cuff may deliver inaccurate readings. And blood pressure readings, of course, are different for children and teenagers. <laughs> so ask your child's doctor for the healthy ranges. For your child, if you're asked to monitor their blood pressure and I gotta get rid of these hiccups so I think I will stop this here and I will come back with the second 
part of this portion once I get rid of these stupid hiccups. So I will be back. <laughs> Hopefully. Lydia, oh Lydia. Lydia, oh Lydia. Lydia, the tattooed lady. Uh, let's see, where were we? I think the hiccups are gone. <sighs> Did not want to go away. Uh, some symptoms of hypertension. We were talking about blood pressure, high blood pressure, hypertension, stuff like that. All right. Symptoms of severe hypertension can include flushing, blood spots in the eye, sub, subcon, subconjunctival hemorrhages, and dizziness. Uh, severe hypertension doesn't typically cause nosebleeds or headaches, except when someone is in hypertensive crisis. crisis. According to the American Heart Association, that was apparently a popular thought back in the day. One of those things where people just start making up things and telling other people and it just spreads like wildfire. How more people get hurt than anything by people just spreading the untruth. Uh, best way to know if you have hypertension is to get regular blood pressure readings. Most doctors' office take them at every appointment. I mean, it's like almost everything you go into lately: dental, doctors, dentists, eye doctors, all of them give you a blood blood pressure test lately. When I, at least when I go into them. If you only have a yearly physical, talk with your doctor about your risk for hypertension and other readings you may need to know about to help you watch your blood pressure and any other, other issues you have. For example, if you have a family history of heart disease or have risk factors for developing the condition, your doctor may recommend that you have blood pressure checked twice a year. This helps you and your doctor stay on top of any possible issues before they become problematic. Uh, there's two types of hypertension. Each has a different cause. Essential primary hypertension is also called pri primary hypertension. This kind of hypertension develops over time. Most people have this type of high blood pressure. A combination of factors typically play a role in the development of essential hypertension, such as genes. Some people are genetically predisposed to hypertension. This may be from gene mutations or genetic abnormalities inherited from your parents. Age. Individuals over 65 years old are at more risk of hypertension. Race. Black Non-Hispanic individuals have a higher incident of hypertension. Living with obesity can lead to, few cardi to a few cardiac issues, including hypertension, high alcohol consumption, women who habitually have more than one drink per day, and men who have more than two drinks per day may be at an increased risk of hypertension. Living a very sedentary lifestyle, lower levels of fitness have been connected to hypertension. Living with diabetes and or metabolic syndrome can put you at higher risk of developing it. High sodium intake can put you at a higher risk, so... And then there's secondary hypertension often occurs quickly and can become more severe than primary hypertension. I'm guessing if you don't know about it and you aren't keeping an eye on it, all of a sudden it can just increase to the secondary would be my guess. That's just me guessing, so don't listen to me. Talk to your doctor. Don't be a doctor dummy. Talk to your doctor. Listen to them, see what they have to say, and then if you disagree, tell them how you feel and what you think, and maybe you guys can work something, guys and gals can work something out. But you should definitely listen to what they have to say. Secondary 
Well, it's more severe than primary hypertension. Several conditions that may cause secondary hypertension include kidney disease, obstructive sleep apnea, congenital heart defects, problems with your thyroid, side effects of medications, use of illegal drugs, chronic consumption of alcohol, adrenal gland problems, certain endocrine tumors. But yeah, talk to your doctor. If your blood pressure remains high, your doctor will likely conduct more tests to rule out underlying conditions. They can include tests like cholesterol screenings and other blood tests. Test your heart's electrical activity with an electrocardiogram, EKG, sometimes referred to as an ECG, ultrasound of your heart or kidneys, home blood pressure monitor, or monitor your blood pressure over a 24-hour period at home. And there's a variety of different things. There's treatment options for high blood pressure, such as medications and stuff like that. Primary hypertension treatment options. Secondary hypertension treatment options. Medications like beta blockers, diuretics, ACE inhibitors, angiotensin 2 receptor blockers, ARBs, calcium channel blockers, alpha-2 agonists. You know, you just find out what your doctor suggests for what your condition is. Home remedy, as far as home remedies go for high blood pressure, just a heart-healthy diet is always good. And design your diet around your body, see how your body feels to what you eat, and make sure you don't have no issues with it. And add in things like Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, lean proteins like fish are all good to add to your diet. You want to keep your keep to an optimal weight and keep your physical activity up. You want to manage your stress, use meditation, deep breathing, all that stuff we just talked about. Uh, massage, muscle relaxation, yoga, or tai chi. Quitting smoking and limiting alcohol is a plus. Uh, add fruits and vegetables to your diet. Limit the refined sugars. Reduce your sodium intake. Set some weight loss goals. Monitor your blood pressure regularly. Uh, and if you're pregnant, definitely talk to your doctor, see what you got. Anything that he thinks you got to worry about, you want to go over with the pregnancy. But high blood pressure can, if you're not managing it and stuff and keeping an eye on it, it can damage your arteries, it can damage your heart, cause heart failure, arrhythmias, sudden cardiac death, heart attack. Uh, can damage your brain. Temporary blockages of blood flow to the brain are called transient ischematic attacks, TIAs. Significant blockages of blood flow can cause brain cells to die. This is known as a stroke. And basically, high blood pressure is also known as hypertension, which is a very common health issue in the in the United States, as I'm sure elsewhere, but you might want to just check on everything with your doctor and just make sure, see where your numbers are at, just go over it. But the good news is that in many cases of hypertension, lifestyle changes can be powerful tools for managing or even reversing your diagnosis. These changes could include incorporating more nutritious fruits and veggies into your diet, getting more physical activity, limiting your sodium intake, and limiting your alcohol consumption. So it's, as we get older, got to start changing shit or we're going to die younger. But <laughs> man, just got to behave, got to adapt and still have fun and do the things you enjoy. It's got to. 
limit them. Can't. We're not in high school anymore, kiddies. We don't need to be getting wasted every day. <laughs> Partying every day. Living freely. Just not thinking about what we're doing. Just partying it up. Eventually we got to grow up and take our licks and adapt to things. So. Let's see. What else can we talk about? A brain detox. How to detox your brain. It's easier than you think. You can find a detox protocol for just about anything these these days, including your brain. With the right supplements, cleansing herbs, and and a major overhaul of your diet. Among other things, you can supposedly... Banish grogginess, enhance your memory, boost your cognitive function, and more. Let's see what they have to offer for us. Uh, When it comes to detoxification, your brain is pretty good at taking care of business on its own. The glymphatic system does most of its work while you sleep. During sleep, the other bodily processes are less active, allowing lymphatic activity to take priority. Think of it as your brain's trash collector. The lymphatic system removes waste products from your brain and nervous system. So yeah, you definitely want that thing to be up to par. Let's see, do they give us any suggestions on how to do that? The process is somewhat complicated, but here's a quick look at how it works. First, the channels of the lymphatic system fill with cerebrospinal fluid. (laughs) Uh, Words are just jumbling in my brain today. This fluid collects garbage like proteins, toxins, and other waste products as it flows along the network. Your brain then flushes this waste at different drainage sites where it moves through your body and exits just like any other type of waste. Out your butt. (laughs) One important product removed from the brain when eliminating waste product is the protein 3-amyloid, beta-amyloid, which experts believe plays a part in the development of Alzheimer's disease. So that's a good thing to get rid of. You don't want that in your body. Sleep plays an essential role in the function of the glymphatic system. Getting enough sleep each night is one of the best ways to support your brain's natural detoxification process, which is hard to do when you got a cat, right, Lemmy? He decided to jump up on me during this segment. I'm surprised he won't go play today since it's really nice out, but there's water everywhere for the snow melting, so that doesn't help. If you have trouble getting enough quality sleep, try some tips for a more refreshing rest, like maintain a regular bedtime. You don't want to be going to bed at all different hours. Consider your diet uh, just before bedtime. Try to avoid things like large meals, heavier rich foods, spicy or acidic foods, unless you want some really good nightmares. Uh, caffeine, including chocolate, alcohol. It's like I mentioned in the past, my new drinking routine, which is only once a week or every other week or so, if there's a good game on or if I'm having a bonfire or something like that. But when I do drink, it's a few drinks early in the day. So then I quit. A couple hours before bedtime, so I sober up before bed. and That way I don't have to deal with the 
hangovers and grogginess and all that, the nastiness from it, being drunk all night long, spinning in bed and all that stuff. I'm not a teenager anymore. I don't need to do that. If you feel hungry before bedtime, try a better bedtime snack like a banana, some yogurt, a small bowl of oatmeal, some cheese, fruit, or crackers, and or crackers. Uh, make sure your bedroom's cool and dark and can help you get better sleep. Just make your sleeping area as comfortable as possible. Do what you need to make it the way you want it. And personally, I like a dark, cool atmosphere. And if you give me a heavy blanket, that's a plus two because that the heavy blanket just kind of like secures you and locks you in. And as long as it's not hot, then you wake up in a puddle of sweat. But yeah, wintertime in a dark basement is awesome for me because it's just a good way to sleep, but the cat is just too much of a damn alarm. That's the problem. An hour or so before bedtime, you can try journaling about Things like your stressors of the day and all that stuff. and Any questions you might have for your doctor or anything like that. But you can journal about things that might stress you out when you're trying to sleep. Uh, writing out things you need to take care of the next day so you won't worry about them all night long. Coloring, reading, or other calming activities. Putting a puzzle together. Just stay away from the computer lights that blue light does not help it just keeps you up taking a warm bath with candles or aromatherapy doing some light yoga or meditating deep breathing exercises and everything we talked about today just comes right back to that meditation and deep breathing exercise plays a big role in getting a good night's sleep uh And it's got other benefits that can help lower your risk for many health conditions. I I can't say that, though, because when I work out, depending on the type of workout, if I do like yoga or something like that, or something cardiovascular, I'm more energized afterwards than sleepy. So it depends what type of exercise, I guess, that you do. You might want to go with a light exercise with some meditation at the end or something. Uh, It can reduce symptoms of anxiety and depression. We're talking about uh, light exercise routine or whatever you want to do for a workout. Decrease stress, increase energy, improve your mood, improve cognitive function. Uh, exercise can also help you get better sleep, which can also promote the glymphatic system function. You can also ramp up on intensity and see similar benefits with just one hour and 15 minutes each week of intense or vigorous aerobic exercise. But Experts recommend getting at least two and a half hours of moderate aerobic exercise each week. Uh, Some other good brain boosting tips are stay hydrated. Drink plenty of water. Uh, Dehydration can negatively affect cognition functions like concentration and memory. And it can also have an effect on your mood. You don't have to drink water all day long to get enough. You also get plenty of water from fruits, vegetables, and other foods. A good rule of thumb is to drink water when you feel thirsty. Uh, I like Dr. Boaster's thing or have a glass of water with breakfast, a glass of water with lunch, a glass of water with dinner, a glass of water in between breakfast and lunch, and a glass of water in between breakfast and dinner. Dinner. Then you got your water in for the day, and 
then you don't have to drink a bunch at night and be having to worry about peeing all night and just take a glass of water with you at bed if you get thirsty you got your water with you you're good to go some brain foods include proteins healthy fats antioxidants omega-3 fatty acids vitamins all things like broccoli spinach kale and other leafy greens salmon pollock 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 uh, canned tuna and other fish with low mercury content, berries, caffeinated tea and coffee, and nuts. Uh, take time to relax. Mental breaks are just as important as physical breaks. Don't feel guilty about not doing anything. Just sit back with a cup of tea, listen to your music or the birds singing or watch a sunset just remind yourself you're doing your brain a favor try some brain exercises you can do things like jigsaw puzzles learning a new language uh, listening to music meditation playing a video game <coughs> or other games excuse me if you're looking to detox your brain, prioritize getting plenty of sleep and exercise regularly. Both of these will bolster up your brain's built-in detoxification system. If you have specific concerns about brain fog, fatigue, or other cognitive issues, it's best to check in with your healthcare provider before starting a detox or a cleanse. And just see what they have to suggest for you. And let's see. We still have some time left. We got a few minutes yet. Uh, nah, I don't really want to get into that stuff. I think we'll end it there today. I think we've talked about enough stuff. And it all kind of focused and came back to meditation, breathing techniques. So try some of those out. Try your own versions out. See what you enjoy. There's tons of videos and uh, sound type podcast uh, programs, YouTube, Facebook. All over the place. There's Amazon. Prime has a bunch of free stuff. There's all kinds of stuff you can find all over the internet. This day and age, if you can't find it, you're not looking. But uh, hopefully you enjoy that. Let's just end it today with uh, another old weird facts. See, people and animals multiply by having babies, but tiny germs called bacteria multiply by just splitting in two. If the temperature is right, bacteria will split in two every 20 minutes. Huh, wow. At that rate, a single bacterium could become 2 million bacteria in only seven hours. Wow. So if you're worried about someone dropping a bomb, I'm more worried about bacteria and chemical warfare <laughs> type stuff. Because, damn, that can just spread like wildfire. And that also makes you think. And uh, bacteria is a living organism. It's a cell. It's a living cell or whatever. We're made up of living cells and living organisms. And you wonder about life after death. It's like, well, internally, we're just exploding like crazy. Our bacteria is multiplying and that our body is made up of that. And it's like, when we die, our bacteria will multiply to a certain extent. And... Until eventually there's nothing left of a surface for them to multiply on. So, yeah, life is interesting.
There's many forms of it, many of which more that we don't see than that we can see. You always wonder what's all out there. Mark Chagall is a famous artist. When he buys a tube of toothpaste, he writes a check. When he buys a loaf of bread and some milk, he writes a check. People are happy to have Chagall's signature on the check. Often they keep the check instead of cashing it. They'd rather have his autograph than his money. So Chagall, Chagall gets many things free. <laughs> I guess that's one way to do it. But now that I mention it, I do remember back in the days some certain forms of monetary stuff that we kept. And you always have those when you open a new business, yeah. People would come in and sign money and you'd stick it on the wall. Well, yeah, I always kept all those bills throughout the years. But you'd get some interesting characters that would come in once in a while and you'd get them to sign something. We'd have, we had a couple uh, Packer players that we had sign money and we framed those. We still have those somewhere, Green Bay Packers. NFL football players. Uh, we happen to live close to a town of some famous baseball players. Uh, got some signed stuff from them over the years with our businesses. It's, yeah. So I can see keeping the checks, but hopefully it's a small amount. <laughs> But yeah, that's it for today, boys and girls. Hope you learned something. I know I, I learned a little bit. And we will get back to you again probably tomorrow with our normal Thursday episode. A little bit of comics, a little bit of health, MS, whatever. And check out Under the Cull. Check out Crimson Cull Comic Club. Rate, review, follow, subscribe, tell a friend. Add us to anybody's phone, tablets, computers that you got access to if you want. <laughs> uh, we just need our subscribers. Need to get our uh, recognizability built up another for another that we'll get back to you again tomorrow so be good boys and girls talk again soon